from Philippians 2, 1 through 5. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Today, we're taking a GPS reading. And we're using Philippians 2 as our, our text for doing that. In that text, Paul tells the church what it looks like when you have the same mind that Christ had. I, I like that idea. It's Paul's way of saying, I want to give you a model. I want to give you a template. I want to show you somebody who knew what to do and how to live. And I want you to live like him. He's writing this set of instructions to a church that needed to hear this. Uh, Philippians is often called the, the, the epistle of joy, the letter of joy. Maybe you've heard that term before. Books have been written by that title. But I'd like to suggest to you that there's something wrong at Philippi. And Paul doesn't just come out and go, blah, this is what's wrong. But if you read between the lines, if you listen to what he says, you'll figure out that, yeah, there's something going on there. For example, there's these two women, Euodia and Sintichi. It doesn't matter their gender. They just happen to be women. And Euodia and Sintichi are not getting along. There's some sort of stress between them. Who knows what it was? Maybe, maybe one of them had offended the other. Maybe they had a big disagreement over what they believed, what they thought was true. Who knows? And so Paul calls them out. In this letter that was to be read publicly to this church, he says, uh, Euodia and Sintichi, you need to get your act together. You need to quit treating each other the way you're treating each other. But there's more. In Philippians 1, there was also this other issue with teachers. Now, we normally think of teachers as as a good thing, you know, they they help us, they they give us more information. And that's not the case here, because in Philippi you had teachers who proclaim Christ out of rivalry. And who knows what that looked like. I can just imagine one teacher saying, I'm a better teacher than you are, or Rivalry in the sense of advantage or advantage, political or social. And there were some who, who simply 
proclaim Jesus out of self-ambition. I'm embarrassed to say this, but, but I know preachers who know better than this, who do things because of the attention that it gives them, that it places on them. You can just see it happening. You can see the posturing. So you got Yodi and Sintichi, and you've got these teachers, and Paul uses Philippians as a way to say this is how you ought to live as a church. Philippians 1, 27-30, Paul issues very specific instructions, and this is really, really interesting to me. In 127, he says, Above all, you must live as citizens of the kingdom, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, that's the new, new uh, living translation. You must uh, live as citizens of the kingdom. Interesting word there, polituomai. It's where we get politics from. Uh, political, words like that. Interesting that Paul uses a political word to describe our life together. He, he describes us as a community, a, a group that is working together for a common end. The whole phrase, by the way, to live one's life is this polituomai. And he says, let me, let me tell you more about what that's like. Here's what it's like when you live as a polituomai, as a citizen of the kingdom. This is what it looks like. First of all, you stand firm in one spirit, pneuma. It's where we get the word pneumatic and uh, similar kinds of words. It's the animating force of a person. Paul says, stand firm in one spirit. And I think he means that this is a community of people that, that are singular in their, their direction and where they're going and the things that, that animate them, that, that give them energy and focus. He says, stand side by side with one mind. Word there is suthie. And it's the psychological force of a person. Now, he's not describing absolutely that we agree in every single point. We may think that uh, this particular thing would be better for the church to do than this thing. You may disagree on that. But what Paul describes is a group of people because they are polituomai, because they're part of this community, get together and work it out so that what they decide unifies them and stands them side by side. I think Paul is also giving us a, a description of what the community of Christ is not. People who are 
polatuomai, who stand by, side by side, who have the same mind, are people who are not part-time. Not vocational terms, but in, in life terms. These are not part-time people. These are not people that kind of plug in and then pull away. These are not disconnected, sitting on the back row kind of people. You can't make those ideas work with what he has just described in this short sentence. When I was preparing the sermon, I couldn't help but think that on, over uh, Williamsburg, uh, Virginia, one of those cities where our, our, our nation had birth, very instrumental in the early history of our nation, there's this church there. I think it's a Presbyterian church. And it's cross-shaped. Pretty neat. You walk in and you see what I... I don't know the terminology, but I think it's called the transept. And it, it's you, you come in at the transept. And then the rest of the building goes this way. And the congregation sits out here in the, in the, the vertical part of the, of the building. And the pews have doors on them. Imagine that. This, this is my, my pew. You can't sit here. It's even got my name on the door. And every Sunday, this pew is reserved for me and mine. That's not the spirit of Christ, is it? It's not the polotuomai. It's not the standing side by side of one mind. I guess it will be forever burned in my mind uh, at Greenlawn, this, this large church. And every Sunday there was this little group of people that it wasn't very many, but it was enough. They would come in that entrance over there, and that was on the back side of the parking lot. Everybody else came in over here just because that's where most people parked and that's where you got to bump into your friends as they came into the church building. That's where the foyer was, where you would stand around and talk. It, it was the polo tuo my. And this parking lot over here is on the back side of the campus. And that's the farthest away door that you can come into the sanctuary. And they would take the Lord's Supper, they would take the sacrament and then they would leave. And you couldn't help but look at that and wonder, what are we, chopped liver? Don't you have any sort of polotuomai? Any sort of sense that you're part of something larger than you are? Chapter 2 begins with a rhetorical question. It's a question that has to do with what is your experience in the body of Christ? He, he asks it in this way. Not directly, but sort of indirectly, sort of backdoor. If there is any 
encouragement in Christ. Any consolation of the Spirit. If. And I think Paul is kind of asking us to, to ask ourselves, well, is there? Is there encouragement? Is there consolation? When I stand side by side in pola tu my with my brothers and sisters, is there that? Now, the way he asks the question, maybe the way he broaches it, it assumes a yes answer. Well, of course there is. Of course I'm encouraged. Of course I'm consoled. I, you know, I think the fact that, that Dee shows up, she's grieving. She's lost her, her husband. She's lost her partner six months now. And, and she comes here and, and she gets hugged and she gets invited. Consolation. There's a living example of what that looks like. Consolation comes from love. Consolation comes from sharing the Spirit. There's that great New Testament word, koinonia, here. Koinonia. The New Testament writers use koinonia to talk about giving contribution. Why? Why do we do that? Because we share in this. We're not, you know, people who kind of drift in and drift out, but we have a connection. The tradition I grew up in used to have a Sunday night. If you weren't at church Sunday morning, they would offer you the, the Lord's Supper and you could go to a back room and there would be somebody back there that would give it to you. And it always seemed kind of oxymoronic to me to do that because it seems like that is so uh, embedded in community. It seems to be a community act when we do that. Koinonia. He talks about compassion. Compassion is the Greek word splanknon, and it means the bowels, the guts. And, and isn't that the way we, we describe it when we talk about feeling deeply about something? We, can, we, we think of it as coming from here. And that's the way the Greek describes it. Sympathy is oktirmos, and it, it's, it's deep sympathy. It's feeling with somebody. It's saying, in fact, the word sympathy means, it's two, two Greek words. The first part is sum. And the second part is pathos. And it means with feeling. Or feeling with someone. That's what sympathy is. I'll give you a, a real life example. And I'll go back to D. I had breakfast with D uh, recently. It's been like the last two or three weeks. And she told me glowingly what LifeSpringers mean to her and what she has received as a direct result of her relationship to them. She says, LifeSpringers call me. They take, I go out to coffee with them. 
that's what Paul's talking about, and that's what apparently is missing at Philippi. At least with Yodi and Sittichi, and at least with these, these teachers. So, if you agree, Paul would say, with what community of Christ affords to us individually, then he says it is incumbent on you to return that good with the following response. This is his list. Be of the same mind. Again, that's not agreement on every subject. I've heard people say that, that they think you have to have some sort of mind meld and agree on everything. I think that's impossible. So what does it mean if we're of one mind? Well, it means that we're we're headed the same direction. We have the same sorts of uh, impulses and intentions when it comes to the big things of God. It says, have the same love. That word love is, man, it's a problematic word because it is not human nature to do that. Human beings do not tend to be loving. Be of full accord and one mind. You sort of get a theme developing in all of this stuff. Here this comes again. Full accord, same mind. Everybody's pulling in the same direction. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit like these preachers were, like these teachers were. Count others better than yourselves. What do you think it would look like if every single person in the body of Christ said, how does how I present myself in the body of Christ affect all the other people around? Now, I don't, I'm not talking about some sort of codependent, neurotic kind of concern. But at some level, I have to be thinking about my impact on the lives of other people in the healthiest way possible. It's the way that Christ would call us to do that. And number six, have the same mind that Christ did. And he describes it this way, this mindset. First of all, he didn't attempt to hold on to his heavenly form and life. Jesus was a giver. He gave it away. Uh, he left an advantaged position to come here and live as we do. Born as a child that we just celebrated. Passing through a human body on its way into existence living in uh, first century Judah, in Jerusalem, Bethlehem, in Nazareth. With all that, that implied, the criticism of uh, the, the Jewish leaders for what he was doing. He says, he took the form of a slave 
by giving up his former life to inhabit a flawed and sinful humanity. And number three, he was so obedient to God that he went without protest to the cross. That's pretty amazing. You know, when you, you think about what happened in the garden uh, in Gethsemane, when the crowd came to arrest him, uh, he didn't run, he didn't protest, he didn't take up arms. In fact, he told Peter to put away his sword and he released himself to them. Our nation has never been more polarized than it is now. And it's hard to imagine how we could possibly ever restore the peaceful, respectful moments we've seen before. And I say that knowing that we still have been throughout our history a fraught nation. Rachel Maddow has a, an eight-episode eight podcast called Ultra. And Ultra sounds like she lifted it straight out of our own history, straight off of our own newspapers today. This was back in the 40s uh, during World War II. There was a, an attempt to overthrow the government of the United States. Some things never change. And I think that Paul knows, and he's trying to say to us that the answer to the world we live in and the church we want to be is Christ. It will always be that. The Jesus way is the only credible way that the church will succeed in sharing the gospel with our lost world. It's the only thing that gives us credibility is the Jesus way. Uh, whenever we, we start using power and prestige and position and all of that sort of thing in order to accomplish what we're trying to accomplish, we completely lose our credibility in this world. Well, that's my GPS reading for today. I'd like for you to, to think about that. You might, you might even go back and read Philippians 1 and 2 and look at what, what Paul is telling this church that clearly has some problems within it. What does that mean for us? What does that look like? Oh God, our world is so far from you, from being like you, and from being in the slightest sense able to be attractive and winsome to a lost world. Help us to remember what Paul told his Philippian brethren and make it a goal of ours to live in that way too. In Jesus' name I pray this. Amen.